Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steffi. I'm excited to welcome David Eichel from 24-7 onto the podcast. David, thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be talking to you. I'm sure we can uh, somehow muster up a couple of things to talk about after the last couple, <laughs> especially yesterday. But, uh, you know, we'll power through it. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me there's something interesting, like a press conference or something that happened this week and it might have involved an offensive coordinator who's certainly not very popular around here say a hot button topic to say the least like it it's a crazy scenario and again i know you and i talked off camera a little bit and i'll bring it up nothing that was said yesterday surprised me i'm sure nothing surprised you no. yesterday it didn't matter what was said there was no way to cool down the temperature of the fan base, even if they had come out and said changes were coming. They would have people would have said, well, why didn't it happen earlier? You could have recruited some more guys. Other, and maybe rightfully so at that point. Yesterday was all about how much gas can they how little gas can they throw on the fire instead of droplets? It was the entire container. Yeah, they doubled down basically on Brian. And, you know, the question comes up. How many times about, okay, what does Brian do well? And I think one of the more interesting responses was the one of kind of lumping him together with Phil Parker. And you look at the results. Phil Parker has delivered results. Brian Ferentz really hasn't. Yeah, I think that's where the biggest miss was yesterday. I think not not lumping him and LeVar and Phil together. And by the way, he acted like, the way the phrasing sounded, I know he didn't mean this, so I want to make sure that's clear. The way it was phrased was Brian and Phil were here and LeVar was slightly below them. I don't know if if that's the way you interpreted it as well. And it seemed like he was almost trying to, like he almost realized what he said and then said, and Phil has been, you know, learning to or yeah. whatever the line was there where, yeah, you know, trying to, Balance set out after he said that. Yeah, I think that was that was maybe, a miss. Yeah, I think that aggravated the fan base a little more. I also think, though, like you said, the biggest miss was there were two or three opportunities where he was directly asked, whether it be I think Scott Dockerman asked one, I yeah. think you asked one, I think I asked one. Scott may have said two, honestly, looking back on after you read it. What does Brian do well? How does he break down the game film? You know, what are some positive qualities? And he wasn't trying to throw, you know, sugar on, on crap, right? It wasn't. <laughs> he, he just wanted the balance. Like, okay, what are you guys seeing that that we aren't seeing or the fans aren't seeing? And he, he just deflected. He dodged yeah. the bullets like the Matrix. I mean, it, it, he had opportunities just to say some positive qualities. And they didn't do it. And look, the positive qualities might not have calmed the fan base, but at least there's some rationale to what you are thinking and what the thought process is. And again, anybody that expected Kirk to come out and say, yeah, we're making changes to our staff on the late signing day, that was never going to happen. When you look at the timing of when staff changes happen, well, I should say when staff changes happen from a parting ways with a coach, situation rather than the coach gets hired somewhere situation it probably would have already happened and I think I've said for a while whether it's on podcasts whether it's on radio interviews that 
I don't think it's realistic to expect Kirk Ferentz to fire Brian Ferentz. And while yeah. Gary Barra is technically the supervisor for Brian Ferentz, really it's Kirk who has kind of the cards in his hands. So I think that was a thing where I think a lot of people were hoping just because the alternative just doesn't feel great for a lot of fans. But yeah. I think this is maybe a little bit of a reality check that, yeah, the status quo is continuing. No, and I think that's that's true. And here's the other thing that I would say. The only thing that yesterday confirmed is that Kirk is not firing Brian. There is still a chance Brian yeah. leaves on his own accord. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. there's a reason why, in my opinion, he chose to use the words anticipate. And it was if Brian doesn't leave for an NFL gig, there's some safety net there. And while you mentioned Gary Barta, and I understand why people want to say this is a failure on Gary too. And to some degree, I think you have to have some sort of accountability there. Let's be realistic. If Gary fired Brian, what would the fallback consequences be due to that? As far as now, this is my speculation. This is not something I'm hearing. So I want to make sure that's clear. How would that impact Kirk's long-term future at Iowa? If if the if the university went over his head, because it would, he'd have to go over Kirk's head because Kirk wants to keep him. Yeah. And how would that affect Kirk's timeline as far as when he retires? Because he's not leaving Iowa, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I really think that that's a realistic thing that Gary's probably had to wrestle with. And, you know, the interesting thing about Iowa is – and obviously I'm a Nebraska grad. People know that. But the one thing that you people can say about Nebraska, their boosters are so involved into every single decision that's being made. Iowa boosters really aren't as like hands-on as other prom like even Auburn, like Auburn boosters is very, very well known how insane they are as far as how hands-on they are. So again, like it what would the consequences be if Gary had gone over Kirk's head? And I think that's something people need to really think about. Because you look at Kurt Ferentz has a lot of job security with the buyout number. The easy way of calculating it is however many months, or in this case, several years, tack on, you know, a half million for every month or six million for every year. And it goes through the 2029 season. So somebody that's a math major, I was not a math major, someone that's a math major tuning in. <laughs> can do the math right now as we're talking about about what exactly that number would be right now but it'd be probably around 40 million or so that you don't have that level of job security for Gary Barta too so it's a difficult position that Barta is in now that's not excusing anything that he is or isn't doing but agreed I think it's an important thing to keep in mind where I think people are used to, okay, if you have a CEO and then you have like a, you know, senior vice president or something. Well, of course the CEO would have more control than a senior vice president. Yeah. But the nature of how college athletic departments work, it's not quite that clear as it would seem with the hierarchy. And and this is the thing, too, and this is where I understand. And Kirk had some points yesterday, which I know people are so frustrated by the offense, but it is important to keep a couple things in mind. Iowa's injuries sucked last year, and I was impressed 
that Kirk said they didn't have the personnel because there's not, and that I believe that is true because I mean, you, you didn't have receivers that could get open. I do think the passing route and the schemes are bad right now. I think those yeah. need to change. The offensive line needs to jump forward and they address that by getting two players in the portal. And a question I have posed, I'm getting to a point, I promise. The question I have posed is, would you rather have a freshman Caden Proctor for a one year? This is what we're talking about just next year. Would you rather have a freshman Caden Proctor at right tackle? Or would you rather have Dijon Parker and Rusty Feth as a one year go for the title? I think you take Dijon Parker and Rusty Feth just given the lack of depth that Iowa's offensive line had last year. And the reality is it did start up front. They couldn't block. The running, they'd crowd the box. Caleb Johnson's amazing. They still had the numbers he did, and I thought he could have been used a little bit more. But Iowa's receivers, starting way back to spring, were not healthy. They had four receivers sometimes. Brody Brecht missed a lot of his ample practice time when he could get it because he was hurt. Keegan Johnson obviously didn't really play this year. Arlen Bruce is the only scholarship wide receiver. So there were contributing factors why Iowa was bad offensively but the flip side of it and this is where i tried to pose it to kirk yesterday it's up the offensive coordinator and the staff to put together the personnel and develop that depth like obviously there were a lot of misses on the trail on the offensive line but i also think there were some certain circumstances that didn't help in their favor i mean ezra miller medically retired david david who was i think the number two tackle but I think what during fall camp or spring practice, he just didn't. Yeah, end up and playing. one of those two deeps, they kind of become a blur. They didn't have. No, I'm with you. But like they, they didn't have the pieces there. But that would stand up in most cases. But let's not act like Iowa football has been an offensive juggernaut under Brian. They've had some great performances, and Gary mentioned it yesterday. Like look at the four years before that. John, I got the numbers in front of me. Let me let me scroll down real quick. And I'm not talking about scoring offense that's a different story yeah but total yards in first his first year they were 117th 2018 they were 92nd in 2019 they were 99th and during the eight game COVID season they were 88th and how many of those points when they if they want to go by points how many of those points were due to field goals and defensive touchdowns that's it ain't the offense winning games yeah and if you do look at points, because that's the metric that Kirk kept on going to, and you take out the COVID year, because I think there's a huge asterisk when we're talking about the COVID year. Indiana yeah. at one point was in the EP top 10, if I'm remembering correctly. You had North Carolina going to the Orange Bowl. You had some abnormalities, to yeah. say the least, in that 2020 season. And if you take that out, look at where the 2019 points per game to the 2020 or excuse me, the 2018 to the 2019 to the 2021 to the 2022. And you see a consistent decrease there in points per game. So even when you're looking at the metrics that we kept on hearing about, as you know, they kind of try to frame it more about points per game. And points per game does tell a better, it paints a better picture it does. than yards per it game. It does. But as you mentioned... Okay, you've got defensive touchdowns, you've got field goals, you've got things that don't show up necessarily in the stat book as easily. You know, Iowa's secondary has gotten a lot of interceptions in recent seasons. Okay, if you get an interception and the offense has a shorter field, okay, that changes things. 
you look back at like the 2021 Maryland game. I think that was a great yep. example of yep. where, okay, all those interceptions weren't pick sixes, but you know, when you have those shorter fields, it's, you don't need to do as much offensively to get points. And, but you have to be opportunistic, but like yeah. Iowa can't throw the ball in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And that's been a huge, that's been a huge thing as well. I mean, the, the points per game, I'm happy you brought that up, but let's let's keep, if they want to go by points per game, Cooper DeGene tied for the team leading touchdown receptions this year. Well, Luke Lachey got his fourth one, so. Oh, he did get his fourth, okay. Yes, so he had the most the among national wide receivers. people put that out, and then I was like, wait a second, no. So Luke yeah, Luke, four, Luke did end up scoring that, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah but yeah. DeGene, I believe, had. More than any wide many, receiver. Yeah. Every wide receiver. I believe every wide receiver combined even because I think it was two and one, I think, but I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But here's, here's the other thing that, that Sean and I were talking about on our podcast as well. And I want to bring this up. Why do we speak and why is Kirk speak more in broad generalizations when it comes to the offense? And why does he nitpick defense and special teams? Because it really feels like he nitpicks defense and special teams. Like he takes them for granted. Now, He's earned that right because they do show up on a consistent basis. You still have to give him credit for that. But the thing that stood out to me yesterday as well as Kirk said, it's all about winning, winning, winning. And I think everybody sees it, but this is where Kirk, this may be one of Kirk's blind spots. He's winning in spite of the offense. If Iowa is a top 60 offense next season or 65, which sounds insane, just that's nothing, right? Mm -hmm. John, they're... They're arguably the best team in the Big Ten next year if the defense and special teams remain at the same level. Like, that's how close they are to breaking through. And I think that's why it's a boiling point for the fan base is they see so much opportunity there. And especially if you're talking about Iowa winning the Big Ten championship, next season's the best chance they're going to have for a long time in divisions Mm -hmm. right now. And with all the turnover in the West, like, I don't know if you share this opinion. Mm-hmm. Iowa, there should be no reason why Iowa is not back in Indianapolis playing for the Big Ten title next year. I think if you don't go to Indianapolis, it's a disappointment next year because, as you I mentioned, agree. with the coaching changes, you have Purdue going through a coaching transition. You've got Wisconsin going through a coaching transition. You've got Nebraska going through a coaching transition. Long term, I think, especially with Wisconsin and Nebraska, those are good hires. And we'll see what that turns out to be. I, I agree said that, that before too. about especially Nebraska coaches. Oh, this looks like a good hire. And then eh, maybe not. But I was very skeptical of Frost really quickly because I was I was at his introductory press conference because I covered the team. And right when he said like the Big Ten's changing for us, I'm like, bro, you're cooked. Like <laughs> you can't come in. And I think I think the AD at the time said like we have Urban Myers. I think Urban Myers, we have like Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer running scared. And I'm like, dude. The only Ooh. thing they were running, the only thing they were running it up is running up the point total against your team. Pretty much. Like, so anyway. this is your opportunity. <laughs> like, where you have the divisions in place, so you don't have a situation where, like, well, you do have the situation where you don't have to be ahead of both Ohio State and Michigan, but you don't have to be ahead of either of them. So, that makes it where you have an easier position there. You have USC and UCLA join the conference too in the near future. And the USC is looking uh 
Well, it'll be interesting. They don't play defense yet. Yeah, that'll be an interesting culture adjustment from Pac-12 culture to Big Ten culture. Let me see USC come to the Kinnick Stadium, run three tight end sets in the you know eight degree weathers in a snowy <laughs> November. That's all I want to see. That'll be great. Yes. Although I wouldn't mind going out to LA in November. Oh, I would. So wouldn't complain. Would not. Complain. Yeah, would not mind that. <laughs> but anyway, a couple things to do. The opportunity. Yeah, so, no doubt. Like you gotta take advantage, and you have the talent with Cade McNamara coming in at quarterback, with Eric All coming in at tight end. Of course, you lose Sam Laporta. That's a major loss. But when you add Eric All and you have Luke Lachey, who had a tremendous year, you have. I think you can go with the the personnel wasn't there in terms of 2022. And, of yeah. course, injuries happen everywhere. So that's the one kind of caveat I'll put with the injuries yeah. thing is everyone has to deal with them. It's not like it's a unique thing to Iowa. But I don't think you can say the talent, at least from what we see right now in February, I don't think you can say, okay, the talent isn't there in 2023. No, I'm with you. And, look, Caleb Johnson should run for 1,250 yards next season. He should average over 100 yards a game next season. He has that capability. We've seen how explosive he is. He should be the workhorse. And another guy I'll say, don't sleep on Jazzy and Patterson. Oh, yeah. I, look, LaShawn Williams is number two right now. I expect a very legitimate competition between the two of them for that number two spot. Like whenever we've asked about Caleb this past season, it's always stood out to me that Kirk brought Jazzy on every single time he brought Caleb and said, he's right behind him. He's right behind him. We saw a couple of nice flashes in the bowl game about what he can do. Um, so I'm very curious, you know, where he can kind of sit up there. I still, I think Seth Anderson's going to be a very nice addition in the wide receiver room. I think Luke Lachey and Eric all have the potential to be the best tight end duo in the country. I don't want to put like Noah Fant, TJ Hawkins, and as far as numbers wise goes, yeah. But they're both very, ball. very, they're both very capable of putting up like 400, 500, 600 yards. Like they have that sort of capability. They have a quarterback that can get them the ball. And I think the thing that's going to separate McNamara more than, than Petrus, with again, with all due respect to Petrus, I think he had a lot to deal with like as far as a line, lack of weapons, took a lot of hits, et cetera. Cade McNamara's pocket presence and his the way he maneuvers the pocket is all Iowa really needs him to do. They don't need him to be a scrambler. They don't need him to be mobile. If he can yeah. maneuver a pocket and the offensive line takes a step forward, I think that will be huge. But I also think when that second portal opens up, I think Iowa's going to go all in on trying to get one more wide receiver at least. And the thing that's bothered me about Iowa – just compared to other schools, I think in general, they don't recruit enough scholarship wide receivers. I think you, if you recruit enough scholarship guys, I think you avoid the, the catastrophe that they had during spring ball last year, just as far as who's healthy and who's not. I mean, there's a reason why Iowa had to get multiple quarterbacks in the portal because right. Otherwise Joe Lavis was taking <laughs> Joe Lavis and, and Cade were taking every single step, every single snap. Right. And if Cade's and not, not healthy, then you have, you know, Joe Labus, Joe Labus, and Joe Labus is your three options in spring ball. and Which I'm sure he would love, but... Yeah, except his arm might fall off, fall too. Off. If yeah. And, you know, he can't clone himself and be on two different spots on the field or on the two different fields at one time in practice. So <sighs> yeah. you could end up in practice like the, you know, it's almost like a replay of the NFC Championship game with just not having enough healthy quarterbacks there like no I'm, you I'm don't want that, that in spring practices 
So and I'm curious how the, the the fans rally around the team. Obviously, I think the sports could be there. I thought I think it was Document had an excellent point yesterday where you said, you know, ticket sales, you know, went dead in the water after the 2014 season. Like I'm estimating here. I expect there's going to be a decent percentage of fans that don't renew if Brian remains the offensive coordinator. And I will say this, and I think you agree with me. There's been a lot of rumblings about what's going to happen with Brian still, even post yesterday. Anyone that believes he's a hundred percent back is wrong. And anyone that believes he's out the door is wrong in my, and from who I have talked, dude, I'm sure you've had conversations too. There is no final decision made about where Brian's going to be next season. There's nothing that is set in stone at this time, but that's based on who I've talked to. Yeah. I think, you know, if the right NFL opportunity comes about, yeah, Brian, that would be, I think, a very appealing thing for him. I think the two things that hold him back, I think the biggest thing is, and this is not going into, you know, what I think of the lawsuit, but just the fact that the lawsuit is there, it I does think play a factor. is a significant yeah. obstacle. Okay, do you want to deal with that? And I think the other thing too is, okay, you know, you have the NFL connections, but the resume at Iowa has not looked great when you lead the 130th best offense. If you're going by yards per game, if you're going by points, per I don't game, think you put 123 with best. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't look much better. So I think those are the two yeah. things where, but yeah, I agree. It's not, you know, what Kirk Ferentz anticipating is not necessarily, you know, a perfect crystal ball of we could still see things change with the NFL hiring cycle. Yeah. I think those are the biggest obstacles that make Brian Farron staying certainly, you know, very much within the picture. I would probably even give it a above 50% chance. I still am. I'm very much 50, 50. Like I, I really think it could go either way. And I know people are frustrated by that. Trust me, John and I are too, because we're the ones who are, dealing with a lot of the fans are vaining their frustrations. Like I, I, again, I get it. But the other thing that I would have I tell people to keep in mind is this. I listened to Cade McNamara on big 10 network yesterday, his first real interview, you know, outside the podcast realm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said a big reason came to Iowa was John Budmeyer. And I remember his brother, I believe got recruited to Colorado state when Budmeyer was there. Cade's talked to him. He had a good relationship with him and Deacon Hill, the Wisconsin quarterback transfer, Came to Iowa for, for John Budmeyer. And this is where my maybe my tinfoil hat theory comes into play, okay? Why are they coming to a school for an offensive analyst? I, that's a tough sell for me, in my opinion. I, I don't know what's going to happen to the coaching staff right now. We, you know, who knows? But if Brian moves on, John Budmeyer obviously is going to be a name to keep in mind whether he's a coordinator or not. I don't know, but at least he's going to coach the quarterbacks. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if, for people that are frustrated about it, he's been really good on the recruiting trail of the schools he's been to regarding quarterbacks. So uh, again, maybe a tinfoil hat theory, but it makes sense to me. I think the biggest obstacle, well, obviously you first all have the assistant coach numbers where, okay, yep. you have like, you know, the fans who want to see him get promoted. Okay, well, you can only have so many on-field assistant coaches, and that's your issue. You know, I think an analyst does end up 
doing more than what I think maybe the average fan realizes. And, you know, I think sometimes they can't say so publicly because, you know, the NCAA has rules around that. And, you know, there's some gray area in that. And, you know, Kirk even kind of acknowledged a little bit of that gray area with the, you know, there's the ongoing debate of what exactly an analyst can do. So we might not hear publicly about everything that John Budmeyer can do to help the quarterbacks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a lot that he can do as offensive analyst. Of course, it's also important to keep in mind that Budmeyer's results with Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla weren't phenomenal last year, but that's also just one year. So we'll see. I'd also be very curious what the workload was between Brian and and John, as far as that goes, because Brian still is technically the quarterback's coach. But I know I want to circle back really quick to the press conference. Mm-hmm. People talk about, well, he's digging his heels and he's doubling down. John, didn't they double down last year when they promoted Brian to quarterback's coach as well as offensive coordinator and ran it back again? I mean, this is. I don't know what it is at this point. It's not doubling down. It's like it's like the uh, a Christmas story. When they keep going up, I double dog dare you. Like this is I triple dog dare you. Like what are we doing here? It, it and again, it's it's a difficult position. It's a unique, it's a unique circumstance for Iowa. And I've said this, this would not happen anywhere else in the country. It's a big power dynamic issue. I think. I think Kirk has a great reputation. You know, he gets results of Iowa. He sends guys like he's a good, you know, from all from my interactions, I think Kirk Ferentz is a good human being. He's done a lot for the state of Iowa. And, but again, when you bring family into the equation, it, it makes everything just so much more difficult. And Barta's in an uncomfortable situation. But the thing that, that really struck me wrong yesterday was Kirk just didn't seem to care what fans thought. And I think in most regards, that's probably wise. But after everything that's gone on over the past two years, as far as the offense goes, it, it's it's that's a tough one for me personally. I mean, he's asked about ticket sales, like Kirk almost brushed it off. Like there was a lot of opportunities, and not to pat our media colleagues on the back, but mm-hmm. I thought we gave Kirk a lot of opportunities to really sort of dig in and be like, okay, here's why this is my thinking. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, I asked him about, I asked him about the numbers. I asked him about, you know, what's going to change or what gives him the confidence. And he, he ended the answer by talking about what Deontay Craig and Jay Higgins playing dodgeball. <laughs> that was I forgot like Kirk playing there. dodgeball at that point. I wish I could remember the exact wording of the, of the question I had, but I remember I, I tuned out halfway through that answer because I'm just like, I, I don't know what more is to say. Oh, here's why I asked. Okay. I remember now. Remember, I can't remember who asked Brian this in the bowl game, but they said, Hey, give yourself a self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. How would you, I think maybe it was, maybe it was Chad. I like giving yeah, I think it was Chad, questions. but I could be wrong. I think it was Chad. Chad asked him it and I rebrought up to Kirk and Brian said, I did the best with the pieces I had. And Kirk essentially agreed with one sentence and then went down that path. And I'm just like, and the, and the other thing is, if you do the best of the pieces that you had, why has no other program in Big Ten history been as bad as Iowa's offense was last year? 
Like what circumstances were different for your team? And the other thing is if the defense and special teams hadn't been as good this year, and if Iowa goes four and eight, do they fire Brian? Was Brian's job saved because of the defense and special teams and ultimately putting a W in the win column? I didn't think about that till right now, but certainly something to think about. it's an interesting hypothetical. Like, I think no matter what, you know, he's still Kurt Ferentz's oldest son. Yep. So, you know, I think that's very much regardless of result, you know, and Kurt Ferentz still has a lot of job security because, you know, how much the buyout is. So, you know, any math majors tuning in probably figure out the exact number at this point. So I, I will say really quick though, I know I feel like I've I've kind of destroyed Brian and I don't mean to do that. Like I mm-hmm. I think Gary Barta was spot on about one thing yesterday. Anyone who like acts like Brian's not qualified or is not a good football mind, I don't know. I don't think they know football. Like Brian from all accounts and interactions I've had with him while we're behind the scenes, I've watched his seminars on YouTube. He knows football. The dude is a football savant, but that doesn't always translate to being able to coordinate an offense. Yeah. I just want to say it. Like, you know, you can be a very good tight ends coach for the New England Patriots. And, you know, you have to be a good football mind to be able to have success at that level. Now, the skill set of, you know, an NFL position coach versus, a uh, big ten offensive coordinator isn't always the same there, and yeah. you know Brian will have another chance to adjust and try to rework things. But you know you don't give them too much benefit of the doubt based on these past years of adjustments yeah. or lack thereof. And you know Kurt Ferentz said that I think his exact word was like fairly fair or something like that to say that not going to a spread offense, you know, with him. So you're just not going to see those changes that you see other programs make that, you know, Wisconsin, I'm going to be curious to see what their offense looks like. Wild. Like that's going to be so weird to watch what they do. And especially Nebraska's implementing the H back now. And like Nebraska is almost doing what Iowa wants to do offensively now, which is a very interesting turn of events too. So that alone will just be an interesting thing to follow as we see. It's going to be a case study of, you know, the Kurt Ferentz consistency, you know, staying consistent 24 years. Okay, there are going to be some rough spots, but you're going to bounce back versus Wisconsin kind of adjusting with the times, I guess you'd say. And yeah, it'll be an interesting 2023 to watch nonetheless. It, it will. And like you said, it, it's going to be intriguing to see what they change. I don't think they need to change a lot schematically. I think they need to change the route trees more than anything else. Like you need to put yourself in a position to give wide receivers a chance to succeed. And I really just don't feel like Iowa's done a good job of that. And ultimately, that's how you're going to be able to land more wide receivers. Like right now, I do not envy Kelton Copeland, I don't envy Tyler Barnes trying to sell wide receivers in Iowa's offense, because if I'm the receiver, what ground is there to stand on? Yeah. There's guys getting more receiving uh, rece- receptions in a game than your top receiver does all season. Like it, it, it's, it's going to be a wild circumstance, but again, I do think that the pressure has to be on Iowa. I think they need to win. I, in my opinion, they should win minimum nine. 
I think, 10 games next year. Go back to Indianapolis. And I'll tell you this. There's nothing more that Cade McNamara wants than to go play Michigan in the Big Ten title. I think he's been very open in that podcast that he was on. The I think it was called The Room I think podcast. And I think and one then, of the people on was his private quarterbacks coach. I, I believe you're right. Yeah. And I'm like, if you listen to the interview, he 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 wants them. Yeah. He wants them. So it'll be, it'll be fun to follow for sure. And I think the other thing too is the use of personnel to their strengths. Like yeah. I think about it and like Arwen Bruce is a tremendously talented wide receiver. And of course didn't help that there were a lot of injuries around him. So at various points, at early points in the season. Of course, then when you got Deontay Vines back, when you had Brody Brecht, you had later people that were healthy. So it wasn't like it's just him all year. But I yeah. think when you have a player like Harlan Bruce, there is a way to use him to be effective. And I don't know how much we saw that all the time this year. And I think I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I think Arlen's very talented. Oh, yeah. And I think back to like the same screenplay that um, I think is a screenplay that there was a throw to Sam Laporta in the Illinois game. And I'm kind of half picturing it in my head. And like it would have worked great if the defense wasn't going to be keyed up on Sam Laporta because... (laughs) He's was option number one, two, and three at points it felt like this year. So I think in terms of play call setup, you know, you have to be able to put your best players in a position to succeed. And here's the other thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, like go ahead. That was basically like you just have to put them in a position to make plays and do what they can do best. I think this is the real year where we see what George Barnett's made of. I think he was an unfair scapegoat last season because the people that were in were one. And Kirk said yesterday, and he's right, They some of them weren't ready. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the reality of it. They weren't guys Barnett recruited. And Barnett's done a killer job on the recruiting trail, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's a very – you've talked – he's a very personal guy. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a really mm-hmm. good – I think he's a good person. I think he's a proven offensive line coach. But now that they got some veteran pieces – I want to see Logan Jones take the big next step. I want to see Mason, like Mason Richmond, Connor Colby still strike me as two potential all Big Ten caliber guys. I think they're, they, they, they've played a lot of football. They can take a step forward. And then you have Rusty, who's the second team all Mac. And you have Dijon Parker, who I'm very, he's, he's on day three radar right now for the NFL. Like the NFL is aware of him, 6'6, 305. If the offensive line doesn't improve, then I think we're talking more about Barnett. But I thought Barnett was a scapegoat to some extent last year. He was doing what he – if you talk about a guy doing what he could with what he had, it's George Barnett. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a difficult position. And I think the one kind of thing that if you look back at the offensive line, you would have liked to see some of the mistakes that happened later in the year not happen, like a false start on the center. But overall, when you look at it, he had a tough hand to work with. And you look at it, a lot of – Guys, well, just look at what happened to their, I think, a 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes for offensive linemen. Like, if you pull up, if you go up on 24-7, look back on the database to those two years, and you look at those offensive linemen, look at how much of a role they had at Iowa. And you just don't have much. And 
I think you look at it, Connor Colby did not look as good this year as he did last year. But it also is a difference when you have Tyler Linderbaum next to you. Like, Agreed. You know, I would be blown away playing guard in college football. But I'd probably look slightly less blown away trying to play guard in college football if I had Tyler Linderbaum next to me. So cover up I a lot. Yeah. That's another thing too, is just like George Barnett is used in press conferences, the analogy of like, you're a conventional Elvin guy. If you're an offensive yeah. line coach, you're not a microwave guy. And like, okay, you're seeing the conventional oven, like the timer on the stove is going <laughs> down now to closer to where you should expect to see some of these guys really develop. And there is some long-term downside to, okay, you're throwing these guys into mix rather than kind of on a development course for being ready in a couple of years. You know, there are still some challenges, but yeah, like he's going to have a more experienced group to work with versus last year's group. You had a lot of guys who, you know, could be really talented, but we're just thrown in really early. And like, I'm yeah. really curious to see like a Jennings Dunker or a Bo Stevens, those two yes. guys, two guys. They're going to have to compete now too, for sure. Yeah. Especially with Rusty in the mix. Absolutely. And Connor moving back to full-time guard as well. Cause remember he started at tackle. And then there's like, after I think it was after the Ohio state game. Yeah. Just, which did know, not go well. Putting him back. At, well, that's. Yeah, it's I, I'm still amazed. I don't want to like reminisce too much on it. I'm, I'm amazed how good that deep like that defense gave up 50 plus points and the defense was absolutely phenomenal that game. Yes. The best defensive effort you will ever see for a team that gave up was it 55? Something like that. 54. Well, yeah, I mean, I think about like the first four. Four of their first like seven possessions were inside like I was 35 and they held them to four field goals. Yeah, that's bonkers to me, especially when you have Marvin Harrison Jr., who honestly, I think he could win the Heisman next year. He's really that down. dude is that dude is I and I love 24 seven. I think we do a great job with our rings. He should have been a five star. He was a high four. He should have been a five star. Like just by the, I mean, hate to say it name alone. He should have yeah. been a five star. Like, but by the way, about Arlen Bruce, like we raid Arlen Bruce on the, our transfer portal rankings. We re we re rank the players based on what they did in in college. He was still a four star transfer prospect mm-hmm. by us. So like again, mm-hmm. people who think oh Arlen's not that big of a loss, didn't exactly have a lot of opportunity to succeed in Iowa system last year. Yeah, exactly. So it's we'll see what comes ahead. There's still a long time between now and September, so. You know, we'll have spring practices. That's kind of the big next development period for football. Got the May transfer portal window. As we've talked about, that, you know, is an important time for Iowa. I think especially at linebacker, um, although defense has been less of an issue. So it'll be an interesting look ahead, that's for sure. Iowa's also still in the mix for Virginia transfer linebacker Nick Jackson, who was 100-plus tackles on the season last year. I mean, I know he's between Oklahoma, Iowa, I think maybe Auburn and a couple others, but I, he officially visited Iowa last weekend. Um, you talk about a perfect candidate to go for Jack Campbell. You really don't get much better than, than that. And I think, I think 
obviously Iowa's linebackers. I remember none of the starting linebackers last year practiced in spring. So a lot of those guys have gotten those valuable reps. They just need to see it translate. But there's a lot of talent in that room. I think Seth Wallace has done a phenomenal job. I think if Iowa would have found a way to get Seth Benson back for another year, that would have been a huge boost. But Or if Justin Jacobs didn't enter the portal. I think yeah. you just need that. If you can get that one more guy, if Jackson is that guy, I think you're in good shape. But it would just be helpful if yeah. they don't have, you know, Jay Higgins is right now kind of the one guy that's thank you. Really I was gonna say Jay Higgins, yes, in game yeah. snaps. And if you had another guy who had that experience, that room could look really good. But you just I'd also say this though, that D line's gonna be filthy next year, even without Lucas. Like Deontay Craig was criminally undervalued, I think. Oh, yeah. By he should have been an because all big player. I'm with you on that. He's he he was and he was outstanding in the bowl game at three and a half tackles for loss. But Jamari Harris come back. That's another guy who's been a dog on the secondary. You got Cooper DeGene, who, if Devin Witherspoon didn't exist, wins defensive back of the year in the Big Ten, in my opinion. And you have the five-star safety, Xavier Wampa, finally getting yeah. a full-time starting job. Uh, like, that and secondary Schulte, is going to be filthy you know, next year. has done yeah. a quality job, too, at free safety. So, you look at it. You'd like to see in Sebastian Castro made a big jump, yeah, I think. Absolutely. With the between end of the regular season and the bowl game. He was now outstanding think, that first half in that bowl game, especially. Oh, yeah. I think you'd like to see a little more depth at the defensive back area. I think if you can get some development of some of those young cornerbacks, that would be helpful. But you look at it defensively, they're pretty well set. You know, linebacker being that one kind of wild card there. Special teams, you've got Drew Stevens back, who Kurt Ferentz said they're trying to get on scholarship. Logistically, that can be a little difficult with all the moving pieces of the transfer portal and such. And you've got Torrey Taylor back, who obviously has had a tremendous first three years at Iowa. So you look at it. There are reasons to be optimistic with this defense and the special teams. And, you know, we've talked about the offensive talent. It's just a matter of can they get some of these things figured out and putting players in the best position to succeed? I'm with you. I think the one thing I would have liked to see is more transparency about the evaluation of Brian, Yeah, what those expectations are from Gary. Because, again, this again, this is my tinfoil hat. This is nothing I'm hearing. This is my speculation. Gary, I believe there's two things I believe are true. One, Gary is giving his full support to Brian Ferentz. Mm-hmm. Okay. I still don't exactly think that he sounded enthusiastic about Brian coming back because an AD having a direct conversation with an offense coordinator about what expectations are going to be like in, from my standpoint, it told me from Gary's perspective, it's put up or shut up for the offense. He basically said it without saying it. And again, I'm trying to read between the lines, nothing I'm hearing. So I don't want people getting that misconstrued. And I want your take on it really quick. If I was offense is bad again next year, like Gary's gonna be like, I don't care what happens. Like he's gone. That's the way I heard it when you said uh, we're having conversations about what the expectations are. It isn't good enough. Yada, yada, yada. I wouldn't, I'm not quite comfortable going that much on a limb about that. I think like 
Gary clearly wants to see better. And I think he was trying to convey that, okay, having the 130th best offense is not okay. Now, to what extent, you know, is he willing to go with that? We'll see in a year. So, you know, if the offense doesn't improve, well, then we'll find out. But I think for reasons we've discussed earlier, it's just a, it's a tough position that he's in when Kirk isn't going to want to pull that trigger. Yep. So, and again, I, I don't want to say like, I, I'm just purely speculating based on the wordage that was used. And I think he could have earned a lot more brownie points had he been very transparent about what the goals are. But again, I also think to his, to be fair, I think saying you need to hit this certain amount of points. Like I, I, that's a tough one for me to cross from an athletic yeah. director perspective. Because I asked what specifically the expectations were, and he it said was, that he yeah, doesn't yeah, want yeah. to yep. publicly disclose that. And I would have, you know, very much as a journalist appreciated the transparency. I also see from his perspective where if he says, okay, they need to be above 24 points per game offensively, which isn't really that high of a bar for most teams. But yeah. if they say, okay, you need to be above 24 points per game offensively, and then let's say through the first three games they're at 18, that could be a distraction that they might not want to have. So I see where they're coming on that. Yeah. No, I do too. It's I just I just wish we had more answers to what was actually going to happen. Because again, nothing surprised me yesterday, mm-hmm. but it does not calm the masses. Oh no. Most certainly not. And yeah, the Kind of the answer that I don't think anyone likes to hear is we'll see, but like, at least he didn't say that's football. Yes, you know, no, that's footballs <laughs> yesterday. So thankful. Well, oh. any podcast where a Christmas story gets mentioned is a great podcast. <laughs> so thank you for that. Best Christmas movie ever. Thanks for joining me on this week's edition of Hawk Off the Press. Uh, Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode. Until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.